Hello, and welcome to Cream of Caroline, the most downloaded casserole lifestyle podcast on the internet. I'm your host, Caroline Hatchett. This afternoon, we have as a guest head bartender, Jack Schramm of Existing Conditions. Jack uses high-tech gear and a scientific approach to making cocktails. Also, guests like you and me can have fun and maybe try something new. Jack joins me for this experimental frozen episode in which I will thaw a lifeless casserole and attempt to resuscitate it in the oven. We'll wrap today's episode with the singing debut of two-year-old Miss Hannah Greener. I promise it'll all come full circle. I also promise it's going to be creamy. What's in the oven? Today it is club chicken casserole found on page 20 of the 1961 Better Homes and Gardens casserole cookbook. You can of course also find the recipe at Cream of Caroline on Instagram. So I made this recipe about two months ago and popped it in the freezer. According to the cookbook, uh, in addition to chop suey, hamburger bakes, meatballs and sauce, and fish rice bakes, creamy dishes can handle a long frigid stay in the freezer at least for a month or two the recipe goes something like this make a velouté with butter flour chicken broth and milk thicken that to a creamy consistency stir in two and a half cups diced chicken three cups cooked rice sauteed mushrooms skip the can chopped pimentos and chopped green peppers Throw all of that into a pan, cool in the refrigerator. At that point, you're gonna cover it tightly with plastic wrap, then foil, throw it in the freezer, and forget about it. Day up, I thawed the casserole for about five hours and it was still rock solid. So I put the casserole dish inside of a large roasting pan, poured boiling hot water up the sides about two-thirds of the way to make a bain-marie, which accelerates heating. I then baked it at 375 for one hour and topped it with toasted almonds in the last 10 minutes of baking. Stay tuned for the results of what's in the oven. Casseroles in the news. Labor Day may have just passed, but senior citizens in Faribault, Minnesota, will still get a taste of summer this week with a community-sponsored meal of tomatoes, mixed green salad, and seashore tuna casserole. Sand on your toes, not included. Following up on a previous news item, the 15th annual Big Tech's Choice Awards at the Texas State Fair just announced its best-in-class winners. Unfortunately, our Texas cream corn casserole fritters did not make the cut. Instead, 85-year-old concessionaire Ruth Hans took the prize for her stuffed fried taco cone. She says, it's like winning the Super Bowl. Congratulations, Ruth. And if you thought all our casserole news was of the geriatric sort today, I'm sorry to disappoint you. British website Twisted Food caused a stir this week with their deep-fried barbecue chicken-stuffed pizzadilla. The recipe calls for 33 ingredients, including six chicken breasts, 12 rashers of bacon, six eggs, two flour tortillas, pepperoni, and ranch dressing. The monstrosity is essentially a layered, chilled, sliced, deep-fried, and pizza-topped casserole. 
Commenter David Bowles writes, Every molecule of my body is quivering with disgust. Sarah Raskin-Fold says, Whoever Tara is, congratulations. You have just created the worst recipe in the history of cooking. Going viral right now. And Christina Christensen says, This looks like something straight out of the Texas State Fair. And that's your Casseroles in the News. All right, listeners, we have Jack Schramm this afternoon. Welcome, sir. Hi, how are you? I am I'm good. I wouldn't say that I'm like 100% today, but I'm pretty damn good. Great, but you know, how many days are any of us actually 100%? I, I don't know. I don't know. What, what is 100%? I think it's just a concept that you have to strive toward. Okay, well, I have a lot of striving Great. To, to do. Do a little bit better every day. <laughs> yeah. So, so Jack is Jack is head bartender of Existing Conditions, which is one of the best bars in America. It also Thank you. very conveniently is located around the corner from my home. So I get to, to go and enjoy it. With, which is lovely and wonderful. And with, we appreciate that. With some frequency uh, that may or may not be healthy for me. Uh, so... Let's talk a little bit about existing conditions just to set the stage for people who have not been. Uh, Because as I was trying to think about it to describe it, it's very scientific, rigorous-based approach to cocktails and development and prep. But that like does it. That's like not the point. That's totally not Not the the point. Yeah, exactly. Because you go in and you don't know that any of those things are happening behind the the curtain. We do a lot of crazy things behind the scenes and have like 80 hours of prep a week so that you can get a cocktail very fast that is delicious and might have a flavor that you're not familiar with but showcased in a really fun way okay that's i mean but it's fun i mean yeah primarily fun we want to have fun yes fun is good and all of that so yes Part of why I think you're perfect for this Frozen episode is that I probably should have done some more experimentation. Uh, (laughs) Oh, man. Our casserole has been in the freezer for about two months because I didn't know exactly when this was going to air. I know. It's creamy. Uh, Great. Yes. It's got rice. We have chicken. Uh, I don't think I thawed it out long enough. So it's this all going to be... <laughs> We're going to find out. I'm excited. It's going to be a serious mystery. You have very little casserole experience from what we've discussed. This is true. Oh, did your mother like actually cook real food for you? She or? did. That's Absolutely. A- she would go to a farmer's market. Like not every week, but often. And, you know, I grew up in Northern California where there's this incredible bounty of produce. You know, I go to a grocery store when I'm at home and it looks like the Union Square Green Market. The quality of produce in California is insane. And it makes me miss it a lot. But I feel like because the produce is so good there, there's less interesting cooking happening. Right. Because the quality of the product at play is so good that you don't really have to do anything. No, and you're definitely like not throwing a white cream sauce on top of it. Yeah. Uh, probably. I, mean, I would, no. Definitely. Very not. little cream sauces. Okay. Growing well, up, yeah. You're gonna have you're gonna have some today. Perfect. I'm not anti. And I also I did go to Union Square Green Market this morning, and I got some Beautiful. Jimmy Nardello peppers that we're gonna Ugh. saute along. I know, Gorgeous. just a little. Yeah. Northern California hint there. there. It is. 
Uh, but you came to New York for NYU, correct? I did, yes. I don't know. What, what did you study? I don't... So I moved to New York thinking that I was going to make it big in the music industry. And okay. I was a music business major in the Steinhardt School at okay. NYU. Not the much cooler Clive Davis School of Recorded Music in Tisch that a lot of my friends were in. But in the much more academically focused music business program. Okay. And then after two years, I realized I hated the music industry and everything about it. Oh. And changed my major to food studies. Oh, I don't think, I didn't realize that you graduated from their food studies program. Yeah. Okay. And did you have any idea what that would mean for you post-graduation? I had no clue. But when I was in high school, I worked at a butcher, just like a local standalone butcher making sandwiches and working the grill outside. We would make steak sandwiches, burgers, hot dogs, chicken sandwiches all summer. So I was just standing at a hot grill or standing behind an air-conditioned counter making sandwiches, but I enjoyed both equally. Okay. Uh, And I loved that. But the owner was kind of an asshole. Can I swear? Is that okay? Yeah. So the owner was a total asshole. But (laughs) I loved working there and loved working with food. But he wouldn't teach me to cut meat unless I agreed to not go to college and to stay and be an apprentice butcher. And that wasn't, that seemed like a poor choice. Right. For a lot of reasons. So I didn't do that. But I loved food businesses. And then after my sophomore year at NYU, I had to get a job if I was going to stay in the city over the summer. That was the big deal that I struck. Exactly. My parents, the only thing they would not let me be was a bartender, though. Really? So I went, so I cooked and I served. That's so funny. Well, I didn't start. My first job wasn't as a bartender. Okay. I was a barista Ah. at Milk Bar. Ah, okay. So it all sort of starts to form together. I was a barista at the Carroll Gardens Milk Bar. Mm -hmm. I was living in Stytown. But there weren't openings at the East Village location, so I would commute to Carroll Gardens super early in the morning, exhausted, and make lattes for one time James Murphy came in. That was cool. I was excited about that. Uh, So lattes and corn cookies. And Mm -hmm. this was back when the Carroll Gardens location had just opened and everything was still coming out of the commissary kitchen in Williamsburg, Williamsburg. Right. and the cookies were still really special and exciting, and I loved them very much. And then I ate too many of them, and now I can never eat any Milk Bar products again. Uh, Christina Tosi is one of my favorite human beings. I also ended up interning at the commissary okay. as a major requirement for food studies, mm-hmm. and learned a lot about how to run a successful food business. And that was sort of what started my path into food studies, was seeing, oh, I have this butcher experience, I love this business, but this one isn't viable and they're doing a bad job. And then seeing how Milk Bar ran and everything clicked in my brain and I realized that I could turn my lifetime love of eating things into my actual whole rest of my life. And that started the wheel spinning, started the path. Okay, and then your first bartending gig was Booker and Dax with Mr. Dave Arnold. Yes, so I did end up working at the East Village Milk Bar, okay. was drinking at Booker and Dax after my shifts, was so enthralled by all the cool stuff, and the people behind the bar seemed so cool and fun and exciting, and it turns out they all were, which was great. Sometimes you think that these people seem so cool, and then, it, then they're jerks, but it was Nick Bennett, Ann Robinson, and Jesse Vita, who okay. are wonderful human beings, and people I still look up to and love doing work with to this day. Uh, so I started as a barback, 
and I wore like fancy shoes that were super slippery on the bottom and was just sliding around in a slippery basement all night. But on my first shift trailing, I was using a centrifuge. And I, so I was reading, so I was doing some prep work for this interview. Yeah. You went from drinking like white Russians and pounding like things at parties to using oh, yeah. the most like high tech equipment and nice ingredients. And at this point, I had fallen in love with real drinks you and have. was making okay. myself. I had a bottle of. I was a like junior in college, and I had a bottle of Yamazaki Twelve Year just like in my apartment. Okay, that's back when it was fifty bucks, and it was a splurge, mm-hmm. not like 120 bucks that it is now but I was yet yeah, like had gotten into Japanese whiskey and was excited about making old fashions because that was so cool and had a mint plant in my window that I would put in cocktails and what about Booker and Dax was so attractive to you in terms of the drink making and the process and because I didn't know anything it was proximity okay and then I realized oh these taste good and these people are nice and are willing to teach me things, and I can get uh, plates of country ham, very thinly sliced. Always, always a bonus. So there were pork buns, country ham, and sometimes oysters available. So I created bun variations. There mm-hmm. was the super bun, which is pork bun opened up, slice of country ham. Ideally, uh, it would be the Edwards wigwam. Mm-hmm. You need that extra salt action going on there a little bit of black pepper and then the turbo bun was an oyster a raw oyster on a pork bun so obviously you know it's like street fighter naming conventions the super turbo bun was next okay which is the 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 pinnacle of pork (laughs) bun technology okay i like it and you were fed and fed and liquored up so, oh, there's some wonderful panting happening. Yes, Hi. so my Bruno, Ignatius Nicholson, just joined us. And it's, it's just a little warm. It's a beautiful day outside. It is warm, so we, we may hear him. Oh, this is ideal. In the background. Welcome, Bruno. Hello. Oh, yeah, William, he might need to move to the other room with his water. <laughs> so fed and liquored up, how long were you at, Bo- at Booker and Dak's? So when I started, it was 2013. The bar closed in 2016. I was there for three years. I started as a bar back. By the time uh, all was said and done, I was the head bartender. I really fell in love there, not just with cocktails, but with the technology behind it. I believe that we were making some of the best drinks in the city at the time there. I think what we were able to accomplish in that small, weird space in the back of a restaurant was really special. And I'm sort of chasing that feeling and capturing it again at existing conditions. Okay, and that's right. And you were at Nomad in between yeah. as well. A brief a brief jaunt into the world of Leo Robichek's mind. Okay, Ooh, that's an interesting place to be Absolutely. at all, always. <laughs> I learned so much in that year. It's crazy. I'm so thankful for that time. It made me such a better bartender. I firmly believe that their program turns, if you're able to survive in it, it makes the best bartenders in the world. Yeah, the service and the standards and it's just the creativity, the interactions so with the kitchen, high, exactly, everything. At all times. And just the sheer volume. 
that you have to crank out because there are so many humans in front of right. you. It's just Friday and Saturday nights there are a tidal wave. Humans of, with high expectations. Yes. Who also want their vodka soda faster than it can even get into a glass. Well, they should just drink it out of a can. They should. <laughs> Don't even get me started. Oh, man. I'm not anti. I, I'll, I'll drink a claw. I'll do it. They're fine. It's fine. I was I saw I saw Karen Stanley's uh, rose post the other day, ladies. Oh, if you want to make a, a spritzer on the side with white claw and and box wine. <laughs> anyway, on to a high, the high, slightly higher brow cocktail. Only slightly. So, existing conditions has a martini. It's not. I guess it's not frozen. It's pre-batched. Yeah. It's put into an old. Coca-Cola machine that's exactly. like super freaking cold. How cold? Negative four Celsius. Which I don't know what that translates to because I... I'm bad at I can't do it. Also, so negative yeah. four Celsius. And uh, guest patrons get tokens. They put a token in. They can pull out the martini and then other cocktails. Yes. And why that, why that format? We were doing bottled martinis at Booker and Dax. Okay. They're delicious and the batching and exact dilution and temperature and exact like exact temperature every time we think yield a superior product okay i love martinis if they're slightly over diluted i love them if they're slightly under diluted i like them with a twist that doesn't have a lot of oil i like it with a little bit too much oil on top i like olives every once in a while i really like martinis but we wanted everyone to get the same martini right and that's how. Is to batch into bottle and yeah. to essentially freeze it. Yeah. Essentially freeze it. Mm-hmm. And when we, before we close the cap, we put a little dot of liquid nitrogen into the bottle with the martini. And what it does is it sits on top of the liquid and evaporates uh, and it pushes all of the oxygen out of the bottle. You place the cap on and then as soon as all of the nitrogen has, uh, has turned into gas, you cap it. And at that point, it's only nitrogen left in the bottle, and the vermouth can oxidize. It's preserved forever. Right. So you yeah. have some old... Do you still have old bottles? We drank them. You drank in, them. Yeah. How were they? The same. I mean, that's kind of... It's it's exciting and also sad, yeah. right? The the one that I opened from Booker and Dax was a, was a martini back when we were putting olives in the bottle, not a uh, little twist. Okay. And the olive was one of the worst things I've ever eaten. It's, it had completely given up all of its olive hood all of its. into the beverage. Okay. It was just squish. It was just wet squish. But the martini did not suffer. Not at all. It had the slightly more olive flavor. Okay. But no negative. And how uh, old was that martini? It was like two years old. I have a Booker and Dax era bottle of Banana Hustino mm-hmm. that I've... Uh, carefully blue taped so that no one will accidentally open and drink. It's like five years old at this point. Is it being preserved? Is it again? Is it frozen or is it just capped? No, it's in just like- it's just loose. It's on a shelf. I'm very excited about that because Hustinos. That's the process of blending uh, fruit or vegetable or usually dried fruit into a spirit and then treating it with an enzyme called pectinase and then spinning it in a centrifuge to remove all the solids mm-hmm. to create sort of a transformed product that takes on all the flavors of whatever fruit or vegetable you put into it 
and you know lowers the ABV slightly and sort of becomes this new thing. It's not directly an infusion. It's we call it a transformation. Uh, what does pectinase do specifically? It I don't know that breaks down the pectins that essentially hold a fruit together. You know, okay. like pectin is what holds a jam or a jelly together. If you were to add this product to jam or jelly, it would just turn into a runny liquid. Okay. So it basically breaks down the fruit so that you can remove all of the solids from the, the liquid that you blended it into. And therefore it does not degrade because it doesn't have exactly. these organic par- yeah. particles, just the flavor molecules. That's all that's left behind. There's a little bit of particulate and there's always some, some sediment that settles out, but you can just rack that off and then you have this perfectly clear really interesting transformed product. So I have a bottle of, back in the day we were doing it with Ron Zacapa, mm-hmm. and uh, three whole overripe bananas, like banana bread bananas, blended in, spun out, and it's just hanging. We still do the drink at uh, existing conditions, but we're doing it with Real McCoy five-year now, which is sort of a, a very dry, austere rum, like really beautiful, nothing added to mm-hmm. it, really lovely. So like takes on all the banana flavor really well. Okay, and what other fruits and or vegetables have you done this process with beyond bananas? I, don't, I think I've only had the banana. There are so many. We have a, a fig old-fashioned on the menu right now that's uh, oh, hey. dried Black Mission figs into Compass Box Great King Street Glasgow blend, which is sort of like a super rich, lightly peated blended scotch. It's really lovely with figs. Uh, I've done... Apricots in Exo Cognac. Apricot, apricots are great in anything, honestly. Any age spirit, especially with really nice high acid California Blenheim apricots, that's delicious. Yeah. We've done a million varieties of dates, like Medjool, Deglet Noor, Zahidi. Zahidis are great in Irish whiskey. That's a really fun, that's a good one. We've done, I've done mangoes a bunch of different ways. I had a really successful raspberry experiment using a combination of freeze-dried and just dried raspberries. Uh, I've done two varieties. Like I was just in Taipei. I know we'll get to this, but when, when I was there, uh, we did a drink with Mezcal, two different varieties of Taiwanese dried mango and a third variety of fresh Taiwanese mango, mm-hmm. and it's the most successful mango experiment. I've ever done. It was incredible. Ta- tell me about Taipei. What? So you just got back? Yes, about a week ago. I okay. Got back. What were you doing in Taipei? So Dave Arnold and I were doing a two nights of a cocktail pairing dinner at the Ingus Bar at the Marriott in Taipei, which is this lovely hotel bar on the 19th floor, like looking out, like beautiful vista of the whole whole city of Taipei. And we also did a masterclass for 100 bartenders that came and watched us talk about centrifuges and liquid nitrogen and all the things that we do. Very cool. And who arranged this trip? Was it a branded trip or? It's this organization in uh, Taiwan called Bar Surfing. That's essentially a partnership between 30 bars across the country where they bring on guests or like have people switch bars for a night, like take a bartender from one bar and trade with. It's a really, really wonderful scene out there. It's such a cool culture and cool. Like Everyone's so excited about stuff, about drinks, about booze. We went to four bars that are using Rotovaps every day. It was crazy, like so advanced, 
they there's no regulation on what you can do okay. in a bar. So they do everything. But the funniest thing was that's all happening, all this crazy modern stuff. But we went to a fruit market and tasted fresh sudachi that's basically the best citrus juice I've ever tasted. Best cocktail citrus juice of all time. They have incredible makrut lime, Mm -hmm. all of these amazing local flavors, and no one is all that interested in using them in cocktails. Because they'll, it, they'll, and I think it'll come I around. I think it'll come around. So why is Sudachi? What are the? I don't know enough oh, about man. Sudachi. It's, so Sudachi is like a cross between a yuzu and an orange. Okay. And it's probably a little bit like lime and lemon are at like six percent titratable acidity. It's probably around five. Mm-hmm. So you can use a little more in a drink. Uh, it is. It's like tea and lemon and yuzu with a little bit of that like orange sweetness at the at the back end it's super aromatic and it is just gorgeous it's beautiful we thought about smuggling it home and then realized it wasn't worth possible it. Like, right yeah. i mean we could have figured something out something yeah so what other things are you working on right now that you're excited about in terms of experimentation or fall menus or drinks? So basically after traveling, I'm just excited about, I want to get the Rotovap going again. Okay. And well, explain some... to listeners what you do with the Rotovap in so, the context yeah. of a cocktail bar. So uh, Rotovap is a rotary evaporator. It's a vacuum distiller. Uh, in the United States, it's illegal for us to put spirits or anything with alcohol into the Rotovap to redistill it, which mm-hmm. is honestly, it's the best way to, to capture flavor is in alcohol because things that are soluble in water tend to uh, evaporate off, like dissipate really quickly. So the things that I've had success with in the past, like at Booker and Dax, are things like red habaneros or like nagajolokia like really hot chilies Mm -hmm. if you blend those with water and distill that blended mixture you pull off all of the like strawberry fresh cut grass the the actual flavor of the pepper and leave all the heat behind which is amazing super cool so what you have to do is as soon as it distills off you have to take all the liquid that you've you've harnessed and and add super high proof alcohol to it immediately so Mm -hmm. it captures all the flavor and then you'll have really bright fresh flavor for like six days and then it fades and then comes back in like three months after that it's super weird and something that i don't understand and i talked to dave about it for you know a few minutes and was like this is uh this is a science conversation for another day but dave understands yeah yeah, I don't. I, mean, I I can't even. There's nowhere even to start on that. And hab- habaneros are beautiful right now yeah. at the farmers it's, market. It's time it's to get that season. going again. Definitely do it. Yeah. Uh, and on the freezing front, I mean, nitro muddling. Dave, yeah. Did he invent nitro muddling? Yeah. That's what I thought. So yeah. tell listeners what that is. And I mean, now it's like almost like a de facto technique, and it's done all over the country. But which is so great. We love that. We want everyone to do it because it's such a good technique. Tell me about it. So take uh, a handful of a fresh herb and pour liquid nitrogen over it in a shaking tin. You know, give it a few shakes so you fully freeze every leaf and then pour off the excess nitrogen, muddle the herb into a powder, and then build the drink on top of that 
completely pulverized herb dust. Mm -hmm. And what you end up getting is all of the flavor and color from the herb and none of the like swampy, traditional, like oily, traditional muddle flavors of herbs. You just get herb, like bright, fresh green, or in some cases purple or red or whatever you want to use, whatever herb or flower petal you choose. Okay, so it works with flower petals. Any yeah. other... We've done roses. It doesn't work with things that have a lot of moisture because, like, sea beans didn't work at all. Okay. Uh, because they just turn into logs, like frozen mm-hmm. sticks. So <laughs> nothing too... It doesn't work with woody, oily things, like uh, makrut lime leaf doesn't, okay. isn't a good candidate. Maybe not, like, purslane. Yeah. That'd be weird. That'd be yeah, weird totally. anyway in a cocktail, but... But there's still more... Celery leaves are awesome, but it's hard to just get celery leaves. It was this whole crusade that we were on last year to find someone who would just sell us leaves from celery, because it's like, it's getting chopped off, and... Right. So we ended up finding a farmer, but we had to buy more celery leaves than any of us had ever seen, you know, cases and cases of leaves. So we weren't, we were, we got through most of it before it was like, we can't, we can't keep doing this. <laughs> we have to stop. We have to stop with the celery. What would you do? What cocktail would you use a celery leaf in? It was called the OG celery, which stood for orange gin and celery. Okay. Uh, so it was orange syrup. So this is a new technique that Dave came up with for the bar. It's not really like, it's, it's basically just taking juice and turning it into a syrup but being very exact about it. So we'll take a fresh juice, check the bricks, and then add sugar only until it's 50 bricks. So basically all the syrups we use at the bar are 50 bricks, and we're like use refractometers all the time mm-hmm. and just make sure and do the math because it's easy to balance things when they have the same sweetness as simple syrup. Okay. So orange syrup at 50 bricks, lime juice, uh, celery leaves, salt, and tankerang. That sounds delicious. It was great. It was really great and really simple and very indicative of what we do. Like, you've probably never had a cocktail with celery leaves. I have and not. we didn't want anything to get in the way of that flavor. So, you know, lime, orange, gin. I would have enjoyed one of those this morning. Yeah. Ooh. I, I think it's a that, great morning drink. Yeah. Unfortunately, we will never be open for brunch. But Yes. Thank, yes. L- lucky for you. Exactly. And... You get to sleep. Yes. But you have late night evening rituals. I remember we talked about this a long time as ago. As well. You would like you go to Korean spas. Oh, yeah. At like That's, 2 o'clock in the morning. I have, I've, I sort of fell off the spa game. Yeah, but For why? a while I was... It's, <laughs> it's just a, it's a big commitment. Uh, I need to get back into it because it's a really positive thing for my health. And instead of spending, you know, the 50 bucks that I would spend at a bar after service on a Sunday night, I was going to a spa in K-Town mm-hmm. called Juvenex. And it's it's a whole process. I don't know that I'd like to go to a spa called Juvenex. It just I don't it doesn't have a nice ring to it. But it worked for you. Yeah, I okay. feel like it's got that like rejuvenate and next. Like okay. it's like yeah, it's, <laughs> I feel like it's okay. Yeah, so it's like you take a shower and then hot steam, hot soak, dry heat in a jade stone cave. Throw a Korean sheet mask on, cold rinse, cold soak 
rinse and repeat. Like you could do that process ah. a few times or just chill out in a sauna. There's a, a room that just has furry couches and a big TV. Okay. You have options. And then it's right <laughs> next to New Wanjo. This episode is sponsored by Juvenile. Yeah, seriously. Korea oh, man. Town. It's great. I've seen so. It's, I don't recommend going on uh, a holiday weekend. Okay. On the Sunday before a Monday when normal people are off because it's very crowded with people who are drunk. And uh, I've seen some things in, in the spa that <laughs> I would prefer to not have seen. That you cannot unsee. Yes, definitely. Oh, man. Do you have any other, do you take care of yourself in any other way? Like I, you know, sort of casually work out. Like my building has a gym in the basement that I try to use at least a few times a week. Okay. And I try to be outside when I'm not working. Mm-hmm. I have a hammock on my patio so that I try and like get sunshine. A patio is very proper just to have in New York City. That's fabulous. That's the, the beauty of, of Bed-Stuy. Is there's a little bit more space. You yes. trade the, the commute for a little more space. And do you cook at home at all? I try to. It's... No, you're like, uh, no. Yeah, no. I'll make eggs in the morning. Okay. So, yeah, I'll, I'll cook sometimes. Or, like, late night, I'll go to... There's a, a bodega right by the bar called Grab and Go that's secretly a wonderful Hawaiian bodega, and they have great Spam Musubi. But when I'm not getting that, they also have like kimchi that they make there. So I'll get that and some tofu and some eggs and then like a can of sardines and make something weird and gnarly for like late night. That's good. That's good intel. I've passed that place a ton of times. And it looks super sketch, but it's actually great. It's it's the spot. And so you're and you're not just doing existing conditions. You are also the head bartender of Perno Ricard, which sounds so fancy. It's it's so much less fancy than it sounds like. So every week in the office in New York, there's a happy hour for the employees. Sometimes they're branded. So I like work with the brand team on coming up with a menu or just execute whatever their drink strategy is. You know, batch three or four drinks, bring on some cater waiter bartenders, and we'll bang out a couple hundred cocktails for the people that work in the office and have a great time. So you're just their on you're their on call. I am the on call bartender. It's like that's pretty sweet for them. Oh yeah, it's great. Or if uh, if a brand team wants to like, there's some new uh, Kahlua technology happening soon that I'm not at liberty to speak about. But I was a part of the tasting panel deciding on what direction to take this product, this new iteration of a product. My grandmother's a Tia Maria person. Ah. She would have probably really strong opinions about Kahlua. Definitely. There are a lot of new coffee liqueurs on the market yeah. right now. Mr. Black is doing a huge push. I don't really love them. I'm not going to lie. Oh. So what else is happening in this, whether bartending scene or spirit scene, that you think is exciting that's maybe not happening at your bar but somewhere else? Oh, man. That's tough. Like, I'm, I... Don't go anywhere else. I do. No, I go to other bars. I do. I really love Mr. Paradise as a bar that I'm excited about. I think we might go tonight. Great. You should go tonight. Okay. Because Will Wyatt is one of my favorite people, and his bar is great. And he's using a spins all there, which is super cool. And it's really fun vibe, and the drinks are good, and it's it's casual. I like the, the trend of bars being less about a temple to cocktails mm-hmm. and more like the Mr. Paradise Katana Kitten model of just, like, go and hang and have fun and 
you know, meet people. And so I, I guess I'm less excited about like new like cocktails and mm-hmm. because that's been the past six years of my life. It's been just like the been whole thing. Is only been... devoted to yeah. exploration of like next thing, new flavor, more technology, like put it in the centrifuge, figure it out, freeze it, light it on fire, cover it in shaved ice. And now I just want to, you know, drink something neat and maybe have a beer. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Is how, how long, so shaved ice, how much longer is Kakagori available? Oh, you've probably got at least a month. Okay, yeah, if listeners, if you want to make it down, this is an incredible shaved ice yeah. cocktail that I'm quite fond of. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. Yeah, the one that, I'm assuming you're referring to the Italian ice. Yes, the, the Italian ice. Yeah, so it's Braulio, uh, the fortified wine burr. It's like a quininated fortified wine. Uh, Aperol lemon uh clarified acid adjusted lemon cordial like we don't we just say lemon cordial like it, it's a yeah, product so that tastes good like that we did yeah exactly yeah. we did a bunch of stuff <laughs> now it tastes good and it's like a like a bitter lemon soda on shaved ice and it's delicious and crunchy and fun yeah and you were you were saying that you were mr no fun bartender at the beginning of your career yeah i i had an element of that i would have fun with people that most of the people that came to Booker and Dax had already bought in mm-hmm. and were super interested and excited to be there. And with those people, I could have infinite fun. But I used to, you know, turn my nose up at the vodka soda person and I would, you know, make it, but I would clearly be unhappy about it. And I've realized the error of my ways and that that's not the person I want to be or the experience I want anyone in front of me to have. And I, I snapped out of it pretty quickly, especially when you're, you know, have like six tickets on your rail and someone mm-hmm. orders a vodka soda. It's right. like magnificent. Right. Thank Great. you. Thank you so very much. Yeah, right. of course. But yeah, it's not, it's not fun to not be fun. Which is, which is kind of the point of casseroles. Yes. Also. <laughs> so full circle. No, after, you know, eating really high-end, beautiful food for a long time, this is just comfortable. It's like the vodka soda of yeah. the culinary world, maybe. I don't know what what other metaphor, what other comparison. Oh, it's like a Wisconsin old-fashioned, like the muddled orange, muddled cherry. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Very It's much whatever so. you've got around in a glass, maybe with a cream sauce. And... I cannot guarantee that, even though it's been frozen two months, <laughs> that it will have maintained its integrity. But I think we're going to go check. I think we're going to attempt to eat it. it could, that sounds great. It's, it could be frozen in the middle, but my hope is that it is going to be warm and bubbly I've, for I've you. I've eaten enough uh, Stouffer's dinners that have the the frozen center to not be put off by that. Okay. It's well, at least you're, you're not burning your taste buds, right? Or, it's ru- true. or ruining your palate. Yeah, it's either going to be forbid. boiling. Well, I've also not ever waited for food to cool my entire life. So I don't like the way that chefs can just grab a pan off mm-hmm. the line. I couldn't pick the pan up with my hand, but I could pick it up with my mouth. And just like molten. Just yeah. Like drip it. Maybe you'll be so inspired that that's what we'll do. Great. I hope so. I I plan to be inspired. Well, thank you so much for coming. Of course. This afternoon, let's, let's recruit William and Bruno and we'll eat some casserole. Wonderful. All right. Thanks, Jack. Great. Lunch is served. 
Okay, we have our homely little casserole on the table. And uh, so it's club chicken. Ooh. I don't know what club this belongs to or why it's named club chicken, but uh, it's rice, velouté, um, chicken, bell pepper. Basically every recipe in this cookbook has bell pepper and um, pimentos. Wonderful. And it's topped with almonds. And if I serve this at a proper dinner party, I think I might be a little mortified. Yeah. But uh, here she here she is. You get your West Village license revoked. I know. <laughs> just like just, just the sound effects of like. Yeah. I'm gonna go for crunch. You're gonna go for the for, for the, the darkest. The, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is great. I think that I think that the it tastes it tastes like exactly what I thought it would taste like. I do think that. It's maybe a failed freezing experiment. I think that there's the rice has absolutely no texture. Mm -hmm. It's essentially like uh, rice grits or baby food, or mm -hmm. um, it may have stayed in the freezer too long, Jack. But if I got this on a plane, I would be thrilled. <laughs> if this was was my meal, you know, flying anywhere, I would be absolutely thrilled. Or if you unwrapped it from like a hungry man yeah you would be you mm -hmm. would be okay with that i consider this a freezer success you think this is okay yeah. well you're definitely in coach class when you're flying oh yeah, yeah, yeah of course okay. <laughs> this is not the braised short rib of first class this is the yes the foil like you unwrap the foil mm -hmm. yes well i did i mean i did oh, technically exactly chicken surprise yeah um so i forgot what we were chatting if someone wants to make a batch 50-50 martini at home. Yeah. How are they doing that? So, essentially, like, the, the single drink spec is an ounce and a half of gin. I like Plymouth for a 50-50. Uh, and an ounce and a half of dry vermouth. I like Dolan Dry. A dash of orange bitters. I like Regan's. But again, it's mm -hmm. plug-in and play. And then two ounces of water. Um, Seems like a lot of water, but... But, and actually, this, this spec, because it's a 50-50, so it's already lower ABV, and because you're adding so much water, this will freeze solid in the freezer. Wow. So it's something to pull out a few minutes before. And it, it unfreezes very quickly because it's uh, still got a lot of booze in it. Mm -hmm. um, but sometimes you get, like, this half-slush martini that's kind of a weird sensation oh. that's fun too well like that like 90s like that the ice chips yeah that, yeah the fine shards of ice the fine shards of ice on top of your like uh mm -hmm. that's like more like apple teeny sound but yeah but i it's just like the it's the ratio i want to drink i i will drink the the booze bomb martini that's you know the like the grilled style where mm -hmm. it's like literally five ounces of gin and a quarter ounce of water right but i don't want that every and I don't want that to be what I drink at home. Right, you know, that's it. I'll just drink a spirit neat, you know, and have a smaller amount mm -hmm. if I'm going to have something at home. So, yeah, you know, just pull it out of the freezer a few minutes before your guests arrive, and you're good to go. And you can just scale that up. Yeah, I would just do, you know, like a 750 of gin, a 750 of vermouth, you know, 13 dashes of orange bitters, and uh, just re-bottle. Like, go right back into the bottles you came out of, and then... Just save a save another bottle for mm -hmm. for freezer use, and they're good to go. It's great, it's so easy, and so tasty. And if they're in their home freezer, like I mean, they're doing it before guests arrive. 
because they don't have the nitrogen to pop yeah. out. How long? How long should they leave them in the freezer? Uh, or how long should they probably not like the casserole? Leave it in the freezer for two months. Yeah, I just keep tasting it. You know, you, you've got a couple months because the. I mean, how long are you going to use a bottle of if you open a bottle of vermouth and you're putting it in the fridge because you're a good person? You've got about a month. And okay. If you're in the freezer, it's longer. So I'd say probably two months maximum. And if it takes you two months to drink a batch of martinis... Then you shouldn't be having... You shouldn't be making a batch of martinis. Right, and putting it in your freezer. Yeah. Okay, there you have it. Mm-hmm. Thank you, good sir. Absolutely. Jack just had a flashback. Oh my god. I don't know how I didn't... I guess I just never thought of it as a casserole because we never called it a casserole. We just called it the ham thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were talking about ham loaves and hot dog casseroles, and then I realized, oh, I have one. So the ham thing was a Christmas Day tradition in my family, and we would only eat it once a year, even though we wanted to eat it all the time because it's so, so good. But it's uh, essentially you take just, like, baked ham mm-hmm. and, like, shred it in a food processor. Okay. And a bunch of, like sharp Swiss cheese, like something like a Jarlsberg, mm-hmm. and grate that, you know, and then make this, like, ham and cheese, like, amalgamation with, like, a bunch of mayo mm-hmm. and mustard, yes. and then make, like, cut the crust off a bunch of white bread and make sandwiches out of it, and then cut those into triangles and layer them into a casserole, what? and then cover that combination no. with, like, milk and eggs, and then bake the whole thing, and it's spectacular. That is, it's like next level strata. It's so, so good. And then you just get a bunch of Grey Poupon and slather it all over the corner piece. Jesus, that sounds good. I'm going to text my mom right now and see if she can send me the recipe. Guests, Jack's mom did share that recipe and I will post the Shram Fam Ham thing on Facebook and Instagram to help compensate for my failed cooking experiment today. I am sure that the club chicken casserole is a perfectly nice dish. She just can't take two months in the freezer. And in the spirit of letting go of our mistakes, accepting failure, and keeping this episode just a little off tune, I would like to turn over the mic now to Miss Hannah Greener, two years old. She is going to do her creamiest rendition of Let It Go. From the Frozen soundtrack. Hannah? What is he? Okay, go ahead and sing. I go, I go. I go. Let it go. No, I'm That sounds great. Okay, sing it first and then we'll play it. Go. I go.